0: Do you have a key, young lady? No? How old are you? Twelve. Well, you should have a key by now. They, they didn't give you a key to the church here? No? Any of you guys? No? What about those chuckleheads that are behind you back there? That, that back row, man, you guys look rough. You the bouncers in this place? <laughs> Any of you guys have keys? <laughs> you can get one. <laughs> I know... <laughs> no uh, <laughs> yeah we won't even go there <laughs> you need a car I could get you one of those too you know I get all kinds of stuff sticky fingers back there so man it's a horrible introduction to a sermon isn't it it didn't quite go the way that I thought there was I guess we should go to the Bible then, let's just forget that whole thing and just set that aside for a little while and let's just look at scripture because there was a time where Jesus went home and whenever you're coming home, you, you have a key to get into your house and, but the thing is, is he went home to his hometown, his home region, area, but he went to somebody else's house. Can you picture Jesus knocking on the door and the guy opening up the door and going, oh my, it's Jesus, when Jesus knocks on the door, what do you do? Let them in. Absolutely. And so please come in. Well, well, I've invited some guys with me. You see, here comes Peter and James and John and Andrew and Bartholomew and Thomas. I doubted he would show up, but he ended up showing up anyway. Yeah, first service, they didn't laugh at that joke at all. They they didn't like that at all. Here's Judas. eh, Okay, you know, I guess he could come in too. And then G- Jesus had some people following around, not necessarily invited guests, but they were there with him, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. They start piling into this house. Can you picture the man? He's going crazy here because his house is just full of guests, and of course he's glad that Jesus is there, Man, Jesus is ready to do some preaching and some teaching and discipleship, and everybody's crowding into his house. My goodness, he has to pull out the folding chairs. He's got to close. You, you know the way this is when you have uninvited guests. you got to close the bedroom door sometimes, don't you, because all your dirty laundry's piled up in there. Yeah, and so he's he's getting everything arranged because Jesus has come into his house and all of these people are crowding in. You know the story, don't you? It's in Mark chapter two. You got your Bibles, you could turn there. Do you, do you have your Bibles with you? Usually if you're not bringing your Bible to church, you're not reading it at home, I could say that because I'm leaving. <laughs> you don't have to look at me ever again. <laughs> Throw me out, tar and feather me, yeah. Mark chapter 2, you know the story that Jesus goes into a house and he's teaching and everybody starts piling in and there's there's these four guys that that want to hear Jesus teaching and they, they want to be in his presence and the, and I can picture them moving towards the house and then going, oh wait a second, hold on. It's not about us right now. There, there's somebody else that needs to be in the presence of Jesus more and so they start running the other direction and and I don't know where this guy was or, or what his situation was Other crippled he was lame paralyzed from at least the waist down laying on a mat my guess is in that day and age he, he begged I don't know if he had a family, I don't know if he was born this way, I don't know if he jumped into a lake and hit his head on a rock, or if he had a work accident, but either way, the guy couldn't walk, and these four fellows, uh, sometimes people call them their, this guy's friends, it, it doesn't necessarily say that in the text, it's just that they they cared enough to go and get this guy, and can you picture him, they, they go and they pick him up, and they just start running with this mat, and the guy can't walk, he, he's, dead. he's dead weight on the mat, and I just picture him bouncing along going, where are we going, and they're going, shut up, we don't have time to tell got to hurry up the, the house is getting full and i picture him turning the corner and all they see is a cloud of dust around this house because everybody's trying to pile in to just get a glimpse of jesus just to hear a few of his words he preaches and he teaches like one with authority there's rumors that he's been doing miracles there's rumors that he might be the messiah and so everybody wants to be there and they, they turn the corner and they they can't get to the house and they try and get in the front door and they can't, they can't do it nobody's letting him in they elbow him Away, saying no way. They don't want to give up their spot for this cripple. There was this social stigma that that went on in that day. That if there was something wrong with you, if you were if you were blind or lame, mute, you, you couldn't you couldn't speak properly. If you had leprous skin diseases, if there was just something wrong with you, that meant that you were cursed by God, and therefore we have the right to curse you and ostracize you. Can you even picture that today? It's unheard of today. I mean, I know we have prejudices and issues and, and judgment that goes on, but, but overall our society, we're, we're warm and we're welcoming, even if somebody isn't quite like us. In that day and age, it just meant that God hated you. Do you remember John chapter 9, who sinned this man or his parents, that this guy was born blind, that, that they must have done something to anger God, to make him curse you. And so nobody's ever going to make room for this pathetic, cursed, lame man inside this house, so he tries to get in the front door. It's not happening. Well, let's try the window, and they start shoving him into the window. No, that that can't work either, and so these four guys have the bright idea. They're going to do whatever it takes to make sure that this man gets in front of Jesus. They start hoisting him up on the roof. There may have been a stairwell outside. Most of the roofs back then were flat. They used them for storage or uh, uh, extra sleeping space or something, and so there's either a stairwell or a ladder or some way. They get this guy lifted up onto the roof. Well, they're closer Have you ever been in church and Jerry's been up here preaching and there's been some sort of distraction in the room? You know, well, you know the distraction at communion time, somebody's stomach always growls right at, like the quietest moment in my stomach growls, it's like, oh, you know, and it's kind of embarrassing. Jerry's preaching and there's a baby crying or, you know, somebody over here snoring or something, you know, I mean, there's, that is not a dig on your preaching, I'm sure it's good, brother, you know some people are just tired when they come into church you know the way it is can you imagine jesus preaching there and dust is falling on his head and every eyeball is glued on him and it all of a sudden starts going up and looking at looking at the roof and then sunlight starts to come through and you see fingers and hands pulling back pitch and thatch and tile and and, and then all of a sudden, there's eight there's goofy eyeballs looking down and Jesus is looking up. And the, the whole scene is just ruined and chaotic. And then all of a sudden, he's just being lowered down on this mat. And, and I don't know if Jesus helps him down or if the disciples jump up. But, but either way, this man gets laid down right at the feet of Jesus. And that means that the disciples have to back up a little bit. And the Pharisees and the teachers of the law have to back up. And then the crowd has to back up. And there's somebody that loses their place in this house because this man... This pathetic, lame man, cursed by God, is now standing before the Son of God, or laying before the Son of God. And now we know what's going to happen, don't we? We know the end of the story. We we can read it because we're on this side of the cross, we're on this side of the resurrection and the written text, and so we know the end of the story. We've probably heard the story dozens and dozens of times if you've been around the church for any amount of time, and so we know what's going to happen. They have no clue what's going to happen, they just have hope. They have, "Oh, we, okay, Jesus, bring healing. Heal the man. And, and then Jesus bends down, and you can feel the anticipation and the excitement rising, and he, and he bends down and, and he says, "Son, your sins are forgiven." It's kind of a letdown, isn't it? Now it's not for us because we know he's going to heal, but for them, right then and there, it's like, "Thanks, Jesus. How many of you have ever gotten a gift from your grandma? Many of you have ever gotten a, you know what I'm talking about, like a gift from your grandma. You know what I'm talking about? Now, if you're a grandma in here, there is no offense whatsoever. But if you're making your grandchildren gifts, they're going to say thanks, but they're not real happy about it. My grandma, from time to time as a kid, uh, frequently she would make me gifts, you know, and I'm like, so I'd open it up, all my friends are getting bikes and video games or whatever, and I've got, you know, a sweater (laughs) that my grandma knitted one sleeve longer than the other, a cat on there, it says meow or something, who knows, I have like weird stuff. My grandma is one of those crazy cat ladies, you know what I'm talking about, and so I love her to pieces, but man, sometimes. Now when I would open up these gifts and I would get this sweater or tube socks or whatever it is that my grandma had made me for that, for that year, what would I do when I'd open it? I'd thank her. I'd say, oh, thank you. And she'd say, do you like it? And I would say, yes. Oh, so you've lied to your grandma too. Okay, yeah, I get it. I'm convinced. Uh, There has to be a special spot in hell for people that lie to their grandmas. I'm going there, you're going there too. Sorry. I'm just kidding. I don't, uh, if you don't get sarcasm, you're going to walk out of here really offended. That guy just sent me to hell. Can he do that? No, I can't do that. But yeah, we go, oh, thank you. And we say, oh, I love it. And, and then I throw it in the back of my closet and never wear it. I think that's the feeling, just that, that, that sense of when Jesus says your sins are forgiven, they go, not exactly what we were wanting. We didn't go through all of this effort and get this guy up on the roof and lower him down just so his sins could be forgiven. Now we've got to carry him home. We were hoping for something different, something better. That's what they're thinking on the roof. That's what the crowds are thinking. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they're crossing their arms and they're shaking their head and they're saying, "Uh, uh, uh, uh-uh-uh-uh. It says that they start thinking to themselves, who is this man? Who does he think he is speaking that way? How dare he forgive sins? Only God can forgive sins. That's blasphemy. And Jesus reads their thoughts. That's miracle number one. He reads their thoughts and he confronts them. And he says, which is easier? To say to this man... Your sins are forgiven. Or to say to them, get up and walk. I'll ask you, church, which is easier? Say your sins are forgiven or get up and walk? I hear mumbling. I don't want to talk to this guy. (laughs) Somebody's still out there going, where's Jerry? (laughs) Which is easier? Say your sins are forgiven or get up and walk? I would venture to say. Both are very easy to say and hard to do. It's easy to say, oh yeah, I forgive them. It's easy to say you want to bring healing into a situation or a life, but it's tough to do those things. Not for Jesus. He can both say it and do it. And he says, so to show you that the Son of Man has the authority to forgive sins. uh, And then he turns to the man, he says, get up and walk. And I don't know how this happens. I don't know if he looks like a wobbled knee baby giraffe, you know, that's just trying to stand up. And he's got to hold on to Jesus And as his legs and his muscles and tendons all get strong again. And the, I don't know if he looked like Jackie Chan and he just ninja'd up, you know, Wah, you know, look look at me, you know, and starts running around. I don't know what it looks like. But either way, the man stands up and he can walk and the place erupts in explosion. And, and the Pharisees are going, oh, you know, they're upset and they're grumpy in the corner. Everybody's celebrating. A vase drops. The owner of the Head, not sure if his homeowner insurance is going to cover all the damages that are going on. The four guys are up on the roof. They're celebrating. They're hugging. They're cheering because the guy got healed. They're celebrating so hard. One of them fell through the roof, broke his leg. Jesus healed him too. Everybody's looking at their Bible going, what? I don't see that in there. It's, it's in a different translation, I'm sure. King James or something. I don't know. Maybe it's not in there, but either way, they're excited. Can you imagine the man's walk, his walk home? Yeah. I don't know whether he ran home. I don't know if he grabbed those four guys, and and they all just strolled home talking about all the amazing things that they heard and saw that day. Either way, he, he walked home. I love a good Bible story, don't you? I didn't grow up hearing Bible stories when I was a kid. You know, I didn't come to Christ till I was fourteen or so, and and so I didn't get to hear all those amazing stories. But but it's a good story, isn't it? It just does your heart good. Just if the only thing that you, you got out of church today was a reminder of the goodness of God and and those amazing stories that are reality in Scripture, it's it's a good day. I'll ask you, what's the point? You ever read one of those good Bible stories and you go? that's a great story, and I'm sure I'm glad that that guy got healed, but what does that have to do with my life today? Ever happened to you? It does to me all the time. I read something, I go, huh, okay, not sure exactly what I'm supposed to do with that, so what do you, what do you do with a story like this? I'll offer a couple of suggestions of just some things that we could take home from this text that, that maybe you've thought of before, maybe you haven't thought of before. Number one, first and foremost, with every miracle of Jesus that you read, first and foremost, it just is another display that he really is who he claimed to be, that he is God. He is the great I am, as we sang about today, that he has full authority to bring forgiveness, full authority to bring healing, and that he is God wrapped in flesh, Proved that by the miracles that he did. And so first and foremost, just evidence that, that Jesus is God. We need reminders of that sometimes. We segregate the two too often. Number two, maybe something in the text in there that, that we don't think about too often, but a good application for life might be, what order did the, did the things happen here? What, what came first? Was it the healing or was it the forgiving? Which came first for the order? The the forgiving came first. Remember, he bent down and said, Son, your sins are forgiven. And then, after that, healing came into his life. Might I suggest that Jesus is setting a pattern for things that he wants to happen in people that are living in the 21st century as well? That healing always follows forgiveness? That maybe that empty hole that's in your heart, your clenched up fist at that person that you're angry with, The, the unforgiveness that you experience every single time you walk into church because you think that you've done too much or you've been too bad or you've just sinned way, way overboard here that God can't forgive somebody like me. That healing follows forgiveness. We look for cosmetic surgery We look to put our rear in a chair and sing a few songs, and we go, okay, I'm good for the week, and, and, you know, Jesus, just please patch me up so I can make it day to day to day, and he doesn't operate that way. He says, look, I'm looking to cut you a little bit deeper. This forgiveness issue is going to hurt. You you know what I'm talking about. I would imagine that if I said, raise your hand if you're struggling with a forgiveness issue, a lot of people would not raise their hand because it's just too shameful, it's a divorce issue anger at parents siblings relationships you know guy girl relationships and bitterness and anger for getting you know a pay cut at work or fired at work or you know not the promotion just that bitterness that can rage up inside of people it, it eats us alive doesn't it i mean we we struggle Like I said on the other end, it may may not be other people, but it's just internal. I can't forgive myself because of the disgusting things that I've done. How can God ever forgive somebody like me? Um, Before I was working at Ozark, I I taught and preached up at uh, First Christian Church of Brazil, Indiana. It was my first time ever in the great state. and moved to Brazil, Indiana. That's a whopping town, let me tell you. Right outside of Terre Haute. I praise Jesus for Terre Haute nearby because there wasn't much in Brazil. Uh, it was good people though, good people that treated me well and listened well. And and I was preaching on that text where it says that uh, how can you take a, a speck out of your brother's eye when you've got a log or a plank in your own eye? First take. Blank out of your own eyes, so you can help your brother out. And so I was preaching, and we were walking through that text. And inside every bulletin that day, some uh, everybody had one of those door shims. It was a, it was just a little piece of wood that you put in your door to kind of straighten it out. And so just a little wood there, and that represents. The plank that was in our own eye, and I said, "Okay, what is it that you see in yourself that you hate in other people? What is it that you're wrestling with that you that you don't want other people to do that? But you know what? You're you're holding on to that, and it's blinding your vision here. And so, preach through that text. Came came to it to where they wrote one word or one phrase down on there of what they were struggling with. We we had a. You know, just a symbolically placing that at the foot of the cross and saying, we're done with those things. And it was a great and amazing service and lots of forgiveness and healing taking place at that moment. But then Monday rolls around and my job is then to clean up my mess from the day before. And so I'm in here and I'm just picking up all those wood shims and I'm not sure what I'm going to do with them. So I take them home and I'm using them for kindling in my fireplace. Good enough. But before that, I'm, I'm just reading them. Reading the words on there. My good flock in Indiana, in Brazil, Indiana, struggled with forgiveness, that over half of the 400 plus wood shims that were on there, over half of them had the word forgiveness or forgiving somebody or being forgiven, some sort of synonym to that. I wonder in this church of 400 or so wrestles with the same things. The word forgiveness means to let loose. It means that you have your fist tightly clenched around something and and you cannot let it go. It means to let loose, to unclench the fist. And for some of us, we have a fist clenched at somebody else and we want to smack them with it. For we have our fist clenched around their throat and we must... Let it go, but, but I know those feelings that, okay, if I let this go, that means that they win, that they're right, that I'm not vindicated in what has happened to me, and I deserve justice here, and all of that stuff might be true. Let it go. That it, by holding on so tight, it squelches our faith, and we have no faith in God that he will bring justice, that he will make things right. We strip that authority away from him in our life, and we say, no, God, I'm going to be the one that holds on to this. I'm going to be the one in control of this, and the whole time it just eats you alive. By not letting it go, we say, Christ, your power on the cross is void and nullified in my life because, yes, your sins can cover them over there and them over there, but they cannot cover what I've done. It's too bad. Since when are our sins too bad? Since when can the precious blood of the Lamb not cover us? you don't know what I've done. You don't know where I've been. You're absolutely right, but he does. Do you know where he's been to take care of that? Do you know that he unclenched his fists in order to take care of that and to forgive? We wrestle with forgiveness. Healing follows forgiveness. That was true in the Lame, lame man's life. I think it's true for us as well as we wrestle through it. If you're looking for healing and wholeness today, why don't you see if you're wrestling through some of those forgiveness issues? And it's time to start letting that go, letting loose. It's another point of application that we we'll talk about today, though. There's something else that maybe we've missed. Tell me, uh, how quickly did that man walk to Jesus that day to be healed? How did he get there again? Oh, yeah, there were some other guys in there. What were their names? We have no clue what their names were. It just says four dudes. That's in the Greek, dudes. Yeah. Four guys. Caring and compassionate enough to go find this man and and, and carry him to make sure that he got to Jesus, man, they did everything possible to make sure that he got to the feet of Jesus. They they couldn't get in the front door, they couldn't get in the windows, and that's me kind of embellishing the story, but I would imagine that they tried every single angle, and then finally, all right, we got to bust through a roof, we got to make sure that this man gets to the feet of Jesus, and they did everything possible. One of the unique things about this particular miracle, as opposed to a lot of the other ones, usually when somebody is healed, that that person has to display some sort of faith whether that's a confession lord i know that you can heal me or i know that you can heal my servant or you know the blind man in john chapter 9 jesus made a holy mud pie with a spit and the dirt there and and smeared a little holy dirt on that guy's eyes and he had to walk to the pool of siloam he had to demonstrate that that he had faith in what jesus was saying by taking a walk there what kind of faith did this man laying on the mat display that day the text doesn't say He just lays there. But it does say... That after he was lowered down through the roof and before Jesus bent down and said, son, your sins are forgiven. And before he brought healing into his life, it says in verse 5, Mark chapter 2, verse 5, that Jesus looked up and saw their faith. He saw their faith. He saw their faith. That it was their faith of doing whatever it takes to get that, that guy into the feet of Jesus that brought healing and forgiveness into his life. Tell me, who is waiting for your faith to be reactivated? Who's waiting for your faith to finally come and get them and bring them to the feet of Jesus because they're not strong enough to get there themselves. They need help. That's you, church. That's me. Who is it? Who is it that you have in your life that it christmas time thanksgiving time when you see him at work when you see him at school whenever you see him on the street that you want to share the good news of jesus you want to invest in their life but you just fall short every time do whatever it takes to get those people to jesus it's an amazing ministry if you think it's jerry's job to reach your friends for christ you are sadly mistaken He has his own friends and his own neighbors that don't know Jesus that he needs to be reaching out to. Don't give your responsibilities over to him. That God has put them in your life for a reason. Not just so that they can receive healing and forgiveness, but so that your faith can be stretched. So that Jesus could look at you and be pleased with his servant and say, look at that faith. I'm going to act here. Maybe you're the one roadblock for somebody falling down at the feet of Jesus and confessing his name. A couple of stories for you. I was in youth ministry uh, for a long time. I, I loved uh, being a youth pastor. I love working now with college kids, too. I mean, it's a, it's a blast, and I, I have fun with it. And uh, there was this young lady named Katie in my youth group, and we went from Portland, Oregon drove all the way down to Tijuana, Mexico to build some houses down there. And one afternoon, she, she wasn't doing her work. Instead, she was hanging out with this little five-year-old boy. Katie was 17 years old, and here she is hanging out with this five-year-old boy down there. And I was like, Katie, we got to get back to work. Come on. And, and so that little boy just followed right behind her. I noticed he had a welt on his cheek. And I said, hey, what happened to him? And she was bilingual, and she told me how uh, he was telling her that her, his dad smacked him and hit him before he went off to work. Because uh, he wasn't getting up and out of bed quick enough. And so he got hit. And, and so Katie had just taken this boy all week long. Wherever she was hammering, he was hammering. Wherever she was stuccoing, he was stuccoing. He just became her little friend. We ended the project early because we got finished early. And so we celebrated in the community. We dedicated these houses that we were working on. And we were having a blast. And, and if you've ever done anything like that, you know the bittersweet feeling of getting back on home because you've made these new friends, and you've, you've bonded uh, through the work and the effort and through Jesus, and, and you don't want to leave, but you're also ready to get back home. So I get on the bus, and I'm doing a head count, and, and somebody says, hey, you better go talk to Katie. I thought, yeah, they're, they're probably right, because she's she's really sad leaving her, leaving her little friend. So I go and say, hey, Katie, you doing okay? And she won't look me in the eye, and she just looks straight forward, and she says, uh-huh. I thought, well, that's weird. So I go back to doing my thing, and somebody kind of pointing over at Katie, and so I go over there again. I go over there three times. The third time, I'm going, Katie, what in the world is going on? And she said nothing, and right about the time she said nothing, I saw the blanket under her legs move, <laughs> and it's just what you think, out a little brown face and, and brown eyes, and, and I said, Katie, he has to get off this bus. We're not taking him back, and she looked at me defiantly. This is an elder's kid, I mean, I, and she was just a good good kid you know all the way around and she says no he's going with us and I said uh, no he's not yes he is and I thought and then I'm thinking to myself yeah I can picture us going to the border and they find us smuggling a child across a border and I'm the group leader they're not going to take the pretty 17 year old girl into the back room with rubber gloves they're going to take me no we're not taking this kid And it turned out, I mean, long story short, I'm ripping this kid out of her arms, and he's crying, and she's crying, and the whole bus is just staring at us, and I put it, feel like a jerk, and I put him off the bus, and we drive back. She was going to take him home. Her dad is is a lawyer who specializes in international adoption. She was getting her dad, getting this kid back to her dad, and was probably going to adopt him, and they had four other adopted kids. She's probably right. They probably just would have made it work, but... We couldn't do that. Do do you know what Katie does now? She's married. Her and her husband have their pilot's license. They're in Africa flying supplies to different orphanages. And then when they drop those supplies off to the orphanages, then they stay and they do some teaching there with the kids. And then they take kids that are really, really sick. They fly them to clinics and hospitals. And they just fly all over a certain region in Africa I wonder, with her good heart and her good intentions of what she wanted to do with the one, now she's doing for many. As a matter of fact, that's what Mother Teresa said before she died. She says, "Do for the one of which you wish you could do for the many." I'm sure those guys wanted to bring tons of hurt people to Jesus, but they did for the one of which they what they wish they could do for the many, and it worked out that he received forgiveness and healing in his life. What about you? Who's that one? Uh, one more story Uh, another girl same youth group just about the same age her name is jenna when jenna was in eighth grade um she brought a friend of hers to youth group uh named amanda and amanda was uh was there and and jenna said hey amanda's here and she wants to be baptized and i said that's great let's sit down let's talk about it i wanted to make sure that this little eighth grade girl understood the scriptures and the symbolism and, and everything that that went with baptism and so i said let's sit down and talk about it and jenna said do you really think i would bring somebody here to be baptized and i haven't talked to him about the gospel of jesus christ and i'm thinking you little snot so i sit down with them and we talk it through and sure enough she did share all of these things and amanda's heart is ready and right and and so here's water why wait that that evening then she baptizes her friend and it was an amazing and amazing night and then the next day it's around dinner time i'm at home we're getting ready to eat dinner and the phone rings and it's jenna and she says hey um, I've got my friend Tiffany. Amanda and I, are, we're talking with Tiffany, and she wants to be baptized, and I did not dare ask her if she shared the good news of Jesus with her because I already knew the answer to that. I was put in my place once. It wasn't going to happen again. And I said, that's great. Sunday morning, the whole church would be so excited, and, and to see one of their teenagers baptizing a friend here. She wasn't even a teenager yet, you know. Or maybe she was. Yeah, she's about 13 or so. She said, Sunday morning? She said, no, today. Her parents and our friends are on our way up to the church. Get up there. I haven't eaten dinner yet. So there my dinner sits in the microwave as I go. We have this baptism, and it's great, and I love it. And then a couple weeks later, I get a call, and Jenna's had a slumber party, and she's got some other junior high girls there and some other friends there, and three of them want to be baptized. And I'm thinking, well, I don't even have pants on at this point. It was 1030 at night. So I put on my pants and go up to the church. She bugged me so much with these baptisms. that I finally went down to the hardware store and I made her a key to the church. Mm -hmm. And while I'm glad gentleman back there has a key to get in here to do electrical work and that's very important. And some of you have keys because you come in here and clean or set up communion or you help with worship or you just you, you just have a key to the church or but but when's Jerry going to have to go make so many keys because he's so tired of being drugged out of bed because you're bringing person after person in here for baptisms and Bible studies and to know the Lord and to worship together that you have to, I mean, can you imagine the possibilities we serve the God of the impossible. Do you know 73 people throughout eighth grade and her high school career baptized? She baptized 73 people and that was just by my count. I gave her the key and I lost count with some people including three of her teachers. Junior high kids, high school kids, her mom, her stepdad, her stepbrother. Jenna's married now, two kids, lives in Hawaii. Rough life, isn't it? Teeny, tiny little apartment over there. When they first moved, a couple weeks after they got there, she took a picture of her new baptistry, the ocean. and That was there and sent it to me, and I thought, you little snot, you're still up to Little girls will bust through a roof to get people to Jesus. What's my problem? What's your excuse? Too old? You don't know enough? Too full of excuses? Well, you're full of excuses or full of the Holy Spirit. Tonight, or today, as we uh, sing our closing song, I'm just going to sit there and maybe you need to be the one immersed the forgiveness of your sins, maybe you have somebody on your heart that you're struggling with the forgiveness issue, and so I'm just going to sit on that, that row right over there, and we can pray about that, had a lady first service and we prayed together over some forgiveness issues, maybe you've got some friends that you want to see come to jesus christ and you want to bust through a roof and you want some boldness and some strength with that then come and sit down i don't care if you're eight or 80 let's start praying together and talking about that if you don't want to talk to me fine jerry's back there michael will be done in a minute elders are here let's start let's start praying about those things and then get out there and do them father thank you that there were four guys that set the example busting through a roof thank you that healing follows forgiveness may we wrestle through those things today and go glorify you with our week. In Jesus' name.